was quiet. And that was too loud. <laughs> and it was just right. <laughs> Morning. Welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. Hey, and I'm Jackson. And uh, if uh, the listeners want to follow along here, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take your glass. And Got then, it. Uh, you're going to take your, um, your preferably red wine. I would say cheap for what about what we're about to do with it. Uh, but I would say cheap red wine. Um, Shiraz. Two Buck Chuck is pretty good. It can be a Merlot. It can be a Cab Sav. It can be whatever. But then you're going to take the real, the real delicate the real uh, ingredient here. You're going to take your uh, barrel-aged 1885 uh, Dr. Pepper. And what you're going to do, you're just going to do one for one. So uh, this is really up to dealer's choice here. You're going to pour your, your red wine. Wine in first. And then, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You should, prob- you should probably do the, 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 like the, the soda last. Normally, that's how you would make a cocktail. Okay. Yeah, there you go. We're, we're winging it. All right, so I'm going to open up my Dr. Pepper. First time I've done that on this show. There you go. Welcome, welcome to the club. Uh, I'm using a cocktail glass. Adam has a beer glass. <laughs> Try a one for one. Uh, if you want to let it breathe, you can, but I would argue we've already uh, ruined I d- that. So. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I mean, Okay. I don't All know right. what wines y'all use, but mine is just red mix. It doesn't even say what. <laughs> I have a Shiraz. Did you get? Are you drinking uh, some Ollie wine? Even worse, online <laughs> surplus wine. <laughs> I don't think that's worse. Uh, it might and be. And then you know, enjoy. Um, this is actually a drink that they uh, I found out they uh, drink in Spain. I believe it is. So uh, I did not just make this up. So. Uh, Bottoms up, everyone. Enjoy your Dr. Pepper and red wine. All right. Two things that I love. Cheers. Enjoy the episode. Crisp. Mm. It has it has it has notes of Dr. Pepper. It has notes of just Dr. Pepper. No reactions. <laughs> Ooh. Are we not it's allowed good. to have reactions? I like it. We're gonna save the reactions for the end of the show. Well, I mean, the the opinions. Uh, I was gonna say we can we, we can, can give have our a final ver- we, yeah. review at the end of the show. Yeah, you can have your reaction. My um, initial thought is it's not as bad as I thought it would be. My, <laughs> so if my, you're listening my, and you were skeptical, you can go ahead and try it. My 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 initial thought is still every time I pick up my wine glass, you know, you, you whenever you pick up a glass of wine, you smell it and you're like, oh yeah, it's wine. This just smells like you Dr. Pepper. Do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't smell very great. I yeah, can't smell yeah. anything. Oh shit! Uh, I'm joking. Oh, no. That was a that was a joke. That's a COVID joke, everybody. <laughs> Why are we here? Uh, so we're going to try something brand new today. Um, everybody, all of our listeners, uh, we are going to try doing a new kind of thing called music stories. That's what I called it. We can call it something else later. I don't really give a fuck. Um, but basically, we are kind of talking about the idea of uh, going deeper into the story of a musician or a band uh, talking about their life more, where the deep dives, we go really deep into the music and we still talk about, you know, their life and what was happening, but we don't really have the space to go as deep as maybe we would like to at times. So, um, today we are going to be going over the life and death of Kurt Cobain and, um, discussing 
all of the things that happened to him uh, outside of the music. We'll probably still talk about the music some. It's really hard to avoid it. But um, if you're listening to just this episode, go back and listen to our deep dive where we talk about the music and then come back and listen to this. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 why we're here today. Exciting. Mm. Hey, oh. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. This is like a. Um, I'm. I'm really nervous. I'll tell. I'll tell you guys the truth. I'm very nervous. I was very anxious. Take a for sip the past... of that Dr. Pepper and wine. It'll. Uh, <laughs> it'll cool. Cool your nerves. Strangely enough, I just did, and it didn't help in the slightest. Uh, but... I wonder why. We, we got to do like a sunny or like a sunny D and rum. Remember that sunny D and rum video. No, no, I don't. Oh, I don't I remember myself. that. I don't remember uh, that. Our older listeners remember that video. <laughs> Our, kids. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Fucking kids. Yeah. All right. Um. So we're gonna be going over, uh, like I said, the the life and death of Kurt Cobain. Um. It is I, early on. I want to uh, not early on, but right off the bat, I do want to uh, give a content warning. Uh. For we are gonna be talking about uh, drug abuse and suicide and a lot of other serious issues. Um. You know, we're, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to be, you know, too serious the whole way, but we are going to take this very seriously and try to be as, uh, and, and be as uh, appropriate as possible here. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And, you know, of course, you know, we'll say this up top and at the end, but of course, uh, if you are feeling, uh, any type of, uh, you know, emotions that, uh, lead you towards drug abuse or, uh, suicidal thoughts, just know that there is help out there and, uh, we will definitely, uh, link to, uh, resources there. But, um, one of those things that can help is a nice, cool Dr. Pepper wine. It is, uh, quite possibly the most refreshing treat available on the market today tastes like it tastes like i'm drinking straight up syrup yeah that's true that's very that's that's dr pepper syrup i haven't had like sugar i haven't had dr pepper or anything like that in probably two years big man (laughs) this is a lot (laughs) this is how we like just ruin your week yeah so is a good place to start uh the early life of kurt cobain and his childhood and yeah him being uh hailed as this kind of prodigy i, I i've read that uh famous bi- biography um heavier than heaven um and there's definitely i've read a lot of music biographies and all that kind of stuff and they all especially for someone who has passed away they're always hailed as this kind of um you know, child prodigy or this person could mimic anything. You know, there's a Jeff Buckley one that I read that it's the same way. And I'm always hesitant of that, but uh, I do know that it was common for uh, Kurt Cobain. He was known as like, hey, he was always creating things. Like even as a child, like he was really good at drawing, right? Yeah, he was very good at drawing. He was very good at drawing. Um, and he was, uh, his family talked about how smart he was and like, he was uh, 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 among his family, and he was always like just just a genius for no like not no reason, but like he was way smarter than them. Uh, seemed like he was always kind of one step ahead in a lot of ways. Um, the the prodigy thing, I think he's just, I mean, he was just a creative, you know. He was just a he was that that's like the best word that I could think of to describe him ever, but especially as a kid and and when he's younger. I mean, he's just constantly like you said, he's drawing all the time. He doesn't stop creating and thinking. So I've never been to his hometown of Aberdeen, Washington. 
but I've been to the Pacific North Northwest. I've been to Portland. I've been to Seattle. I've been to the the big cities, and I've driven up and down the coast. But um, I know that it's described as this kind of logging town, and because just kind of nothing but that uh, logging industry is what the whole town is built around, and. Uh, also he was described his upbringing as kind of like white trash, um, living, I think his grandparents lived in trailers, stuff like that. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but that does kind of paint a picture of, you know, going into, uh, you know, lower income and the drug abuse and that kind of world seems to be a lot more prevalent. Yeah. One of his friends said, uh, was quoted as saying like for, you know, at the first of the month when everybody got their welfare checks, all the bars and stores and stuff were packed and everybody was hustling and bustling and spending loads of money. And then towards the, you know, second or third week of the month, it was a ghost town because everybody had spent all their money. Yeah. Typical small town, you know, impoverished area. Well, yeah, and you hear the uh, similar stuff coming from even like the Beatles in Liverpool because it's very much a working class area where it's just very much, you know, you know, you're punching in, uh, everybody's rich on payday, and then everybody's, you know, in modern terms, having uh, ramen noodles a week later. I grew up in a town like that. And, you know, you do find that there isn't much else to do than recreational sports if you have any programs available to you for that even if you don't like it's very easy to see how someone like kirk could get into drawing and music because there's just nothing else to do when you grow up in a place like that and jackson you mentioned this earlier drug use is very common in those smaller areas yeah again like you said there's like nothing to do so when you reach a certain age it just becomes what happens um but so he uh as a child was very creative he they said he had an early love for music um but pretty young into his life his parents get divorced which is not good that was very messy was it one of the problems that his his parents or at least his father said that they would never get remarried and yes. then pretty quickly got remarried yes that well so he it, there was like a a story where he uh went and stayed with like so he he stayed with his mom and then that wasn't working so then he went to stay with his dad and that happened a couple of times but the first time that he went to stay with his dad his dad was like yeah i'm like i'm not gonna get remarried like this is you know i, I will never do that and then both him and his mom very quickly start getting in different in, in new relationships um and one of them remarries right away. It's uh, it's it's very very quick and very uh, stressful for uh, a, a young person, especially in a small town. I imagine everybody. I mean, pe- people. I'm pretty sure mocked him at school for that. That was a very big thing. He got made fun of. I think because his parents got divorced. Yeah, he said he felt like ashamed about it. Like it was yeah. not his fault necessarily, but ashamed for his parents. So, I would imagine that kind of thing can lead to some pretty deep scars. Yeah. It's just so bad. It's just a bad drink. It's a bad drink. <laughs> Try putting uh putting ice in it and drinking it through a straw. No, is that what you're doing? Then... Jackson, then you have a, a question. Slurpee. Is that what you said, Jackson? You have a question? No, I have questions for you guys at the end of the episode. Mm. Um, so a, a lot of uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, teenage years and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
he was kind of, as we've already alluded to, he was uh, jostled around in his home life. He was living with friends at points. He was uh, living amongst family members, his mom, his dad. And I, I think the most uh, stable he ever had was his grandparents, which are the people who I think even to this day, I don't know actually to this day, but at least like five years ago when I was super into Nirvana, you could go to Aberdeen and I think his uh grandfather's name is leland cobain something like that but you could go to his house and like basically just say like i'm a huge fan of kurt and he would have like he'd be like come on in let's talk about it and like would show you uh like little like scrapbooks and stuff like like wow. he was super like proud of him that's really which cool. is really cool he also talked about or i saw an interview with his principal i think it was where uh, he said that, yeah, Kurt came to stay here for like a week and then uh, he stayed here for like two weeks and ultimately it ended up being a year. And he was like, you know, grew very close to the guy, but he still was pretty quiet and mostly secluded. But in the interview, in the background, the guy has like a shrine of all like a bunch of Nirvana merch and stuff like that. Well, I think uh, the people that he connected with, he definitely um, left an impression on and they were proud of him as anybody who sees somebody that is like a child figure to them. Um, they are very happy and proud whenever they're successful. And especially from a small town like this, but uh, with all that moving around and not really feeling like he belonged somewhere and not really feeling like he was wanted uh, that kind of spurred one of my favorite songs of there, something in the way, which he kind of talks about this, something in the way is Kurt Cobain and, there's this, and it's a bit of a back and forth with the people uh, who are still alive to tell the story, like Chris and his uh, Kurt Cobain's sister, who he was very close with. Uh, but they all say he never uh, slept under a bridge. He never lived under there. But the impetus of the song is that he uh, was homeless for a stint and lived under a bridge. So I just want to read the opening verse for you guys really quick because it just kind of puts you in the headspace whether or not it was accurate it was the headspace that Kurt Cobain was in um and the first verse is this underneath the bridge tarp has sprung a leak and the animals I've trapped have all become my pets and I'm living off of grass and the drippings from my ceiling it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings I think if you know the story behind the man and like just his early life and once again, whether or not it was true, he felt this was true, which is just hauntingly sad. So well, it's, yeah. it's important to say that during this time, uh, what, what he says ultimately led to him sleeping under the bridge is that he was couch surfing on friends at friends places. And what, basically what he would do is show up and then they would party and he would drink all their beer, pass out on the couch, wake up and do it again the next day. And eventually he felt that he overstayed his welcome at all those places and ultimately ended up under the bridge. So even if it was just one night that he did sleep under a bridge or a portion of a night or something like that, it still left a very lasting impression on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that 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 makes sense. Uh, I think I have a I have a, a question about the lyrics thing that um, I'm I, I knew that I would have to ask, which is, we talked about last episode about how he wrote lyrics quickly, and it would be kind of like before, right before he went in the studio or the day before, right? 
Uh, so a lot of people cite a lot of his lyrics to like this moment in his life, this exact moment in his life. Now, do you think that that is the case? Or do you think that he was more just like most of the time just throwing stuff out? Because especially when it's a figure like Kurt Cobain and when they die, people try to find meaning in everything. And we've talked about that plenty of times with, with other artists, but especially with people like Kurt Cobain. So to me, every time I like I hear like, and I'm not saying it's not true, but it just sounds interesting to me to think about, uh, you know, oh, he just wrote a lyric right before, right? The, wrote the lyrics right before he went in the studio. Uh, but they mean this exact thing that happened to him in his life. Do you think that that is like always the case, or do you think that people are uh, extrapolating more than they should be? I think it's difficult to say. Yeah, I, I would agree 100%, and I have a really long answer for this, and I think there's this mentality, there's the character that Kurt Cobain put forth whenever he was doing interviews. Even before he was famous, he was acting this way. Um, but I think that's different from the real Kurt Cobain, and I didn't know quite when to bring this up. The kind of duality of him was that whenever he would go into interviews and give this really laissez-faire attitude of like, oh, well, I don't give a shit. I just did this, you know, the night before. Like, yeah, don't read too much into it. I think that was a wall for him. And also I can't speak for him. So this is just my thought on the matter. But um, I think it, it became a wall for him because he was an avid uh, like journaler. Like he, he kept right. a diary, was always drawing and stuff. And like, you can see those drawings and uh, to this day, like, they have all those notebooks and I think they published one of them. And so in those notebooks, he'll have stuff where like he has pretended that he's being interviewed before he got famous by like a rock journalist and all that kind of stuff. So it really does show that he did care about a lot of this stuff. So I think it is a bit in between. And then also I think what a lot of people, and we'll get into this later when we're talking about his death and what people think happened may or may not have happened um, I think people point to these kind of like, oh, well, he's not a really internally consistent person. And it's just like, well, nobody is. Nobody is. I mean, people will point sure. to things like this is the guy who uh, would overdose on heroin regularly, but also he drove a Volvo because uh, Volvos were the safest cars at uh, the time that he was alive. And he was deathly scared of getting in a car crash. And people were like, well, that person wouldn't overdose if they were scared of a car crash. It's like, well, People aren't black and white like that. You just can't, like, nobody is consistent like that. Only people who are consistent are movie characters and yeah. literary characters. The consistent thing is definitely a really good point to make. I think that uh, I, I say this with some sort of hesitancy, but I, I, I do think that it's true, and it's not that it's uh, um, untrue about most people that you know. Uh, but Kurt Cobain also was, like, a bit of a liar, and he would just say stuff sometimes. So... Uh, that's, it's, it's, it's so hard to, you know, when I asked that question, it was more, I, I was, you know, curious to see what you'd, what you guys would say about it. But I, I do think that it's hard to say what any, what any of his intentions were because he did like to just say stuff. Well, and he like cultivated a character and that extends yeah. to his lyrics and yeah, yeah. that's just kind of how that is. And it's hard to, after this much time, especially to like try and read into it and think that we have the right idea so yeah yeah and he had so little time with that quote-unquote character that it's really hard to say this but there are examples of like robert smith of the cure um 
that Robert Smith that you saw in like the 70s and stuff uh, who was in The Cure was a character. But at this point, he's been doing that for so long and we're in 2020 that Robert Smith from The Cure is now Robert Smith in reality. So that's a bit of... It, it's hard to really separate the two, but it's hard to say if that was the case for Kurt Cobain since he was so... It didn't have that long of a time in the limelight. And I did want to say one more thing about the lyrics thing. And this is just coming from my personal experience writing lyrics. And I think it can be similar for a lot of people. I will personally write things sometimes that are just off the top of my head. And then I'll look at them a week later, even a year later. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's about that. And I had no clue. I thought I was just like ad libbing and... I wasn't at all. This is what that was about. And it was just a subconscious thing. So as, even if he wasn't lying about it, I think there's a, a high possibility that he thought that he wasn't writing about something, but he truly was. So like subconsciously writing about stuff. Yeah. Even in his, like when he was in high school, there was an instance, you know, where he starts to kind of blur the lines about who he is when he befriended a, a kid who was getting pretty close to Kurt. And then, you know, one day made a pass at him his friend was was uh was gay and so because they were hanging out so much uh people at the school ultimately made fun of kurt for being gay and he said that he kind of liked it because he wanted people to you know he wanted to piss people off and he wanted them to not really know who he was for real yeah the 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 quote that he wrote in the journal was uh uh i i think it's like i wish i was gay to piss off all of the all the homophobes yeah um so uh, in in his teens, like we said, he 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 starts to like uh, do drugs and starts to drink. Uh, he also starts stealing, and he starts like having all this like. I mean, when when we talked about him like like going from house to house, uh, a lot of the times he was like you know not being good in the houses he was in. He was causing problems in his mom's house. Um, uh, there's like the story where. Uh, he like destroyed his stepsister's like toys or something like that after they went they went on a trip or something and kurt didn't go with them there's like a bunch of these little tiny stories that ha that exist all over the place from what he supposedly did that was uh, rebellious um but i mean clearly you can see from an early age he's having a hard time with family stuff and he's not handling it well but you can also easily say that it's just teenagers i mean this is the way that a lot of, especially small town teenagers it makes sense to act this way. It's a very common thing. Yeah, and I think there's a, a, a bit of a, you know, and this is with any history, and just so happens we're talking about Kurt Cobain, but uh, being able to talk about these things, knowing how it turns out, I think that makes it a bit problematic because, I, I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but I did some nefarious shit as a kid, and I think I turned out pretty well. And... um I, I've never done heroin and I don't ever plan on it, but uh, there's, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people can look at back at these things that Kurt Cobain did as a kid and point what, well, yeah, of course this was going to happen. He was just yeah. like, troubled all the time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Kids just do stupid shit, especially in a small town. Like we were talking about, there's not a lot to do. Of course he went around and graffitied, you know, God is gay on, you know, trucks or whatever it was that he did. <laughs> Yeah. Like, of course, that's a thing that you do when you're a kid in a small town. Did you do that when you were a kid, Adam? No, but I mean, I know people who've definitely done stuff like that. So. <laughs> yeah. 
it makes yeah. sense. Adam, you can admit it. It's okay. This this is a this is a good time to come clean. Yeah, statute about... of limitations have passed. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it's also it, it can be helpful uh, sometimes in a character study to use um, hindsight to help us understand who a person was. But I think when we begin to uh, speculate deeper into that as people who aren't really professionals at evaluating who a person was, then that's when the the mystery and the legend starts to really snowball. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, is that like in no means it, it, like I do, I don't mean to say that because he did this, it led him to this, but I mean, we are built upon all of the things that happened in our, I mean, like all of those things build who we are, and that's not to say that you can't change from that thing, and it's not also not to say that that thing, you know, couldn't have caused this, but it also could have. You know, there's a lot of different variables here. So, like when you're looking at someone's past, it's important to look at this stuff. But if anyone ever pointed at the fact that Kurt like smoked pot when he was a teenager and was like, "Well, duh, he's gonna do heroin," like go fuck yourself. Right. That's not how that yeah. works. That's not no. Sorry, good try though. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't it. Uh, go ahead. Wasn't it around the same time though, in his teens, where he started, you know, actually actively participating in music, going to shows, and yeah, he met Chris around this time, correct? Yeah, he he met he met Chris when uh, I guess he he was like fifteen or something like that, because Chris didn't say he was gonna play with him until Kurt was like seventeen, and Chris was nineteen, I think. Yeah, he was really curious about who this kid was that was very hyperactive and yeah. Uh, just kind of clowny and goofy and he did what he gave him a demo of songs uh what was it what was that was it uh, called fecal matter fecal matter yeah and chris didn't listen to it like you said hagen for a couple of years right yeah and 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 kurt kept asking him to like play music with him kurt kept being like come on let's uh, let's let's play music and, and, and chris kept saying no until finally he listened to the demo and yeah and this time he was uh starting to go to shows he was traveling to olympia a, a whole lot to go see shows um, and he lived with his uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, Tracy. Um, and the very unfortunate thing about that is that he didn't have a job. Uh, he didn't really have a job, like ever. I think he had like one job in his life aside from being a musician. He was a he was a chimney sweep at a hotel. Oh, he also sorry. He also was a janitor. He was a janitor. Yeah, he was a janitor at a school. Yeah, that was yeah. It. He said when he was a chimney sweep that he would. Uh... He would run around and, and clean up as many of them as he could because people in the hotel didn't typically use their fireplaces. So he would clean them as fast as he could and then go find a room and sleep. <laughs> he was like, it was a pretty good job until I got found out and then I just quit and <laughs> never wanted to do it again. I know somebody's going to be screaming at their podcast right now, but there's that story that uh, whenever they were shooting the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit, that that was at the school where that janitor that passes by at the beginning of the uh, video that was like a dig at like oh kurt used to be a janitor and i think the story is that 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 was the school that they recorded in was where he was a janitor i don't know if that's true or not but just so uh every, the person who's screaming at in their car you can stop now <laughs> i hope someone's like but the guy was a janitor oh <laughs> yeah if you were screaming in your car just drink your dr pepper wine you're fine it's okay yeah. well, <laughs> well uh, uh, there's a lot of reasons maybe to pause on that but um it's okay so yeah so but it's it is important to note that he wasn't uh usually a job having person but tracy was supporting both of them 
Um, and she would just like leave him at home like all day and he would just write music and like record stuff on his little like tape recorder. And, uh, I mean, that this is, this is definitely where a lot of it started for him, which is very cool. That That's like, you know, I really, uh, you know, I think we all like read stuff and watched documentaries prepare for this. And, uh, montage of heck is one of the ones that I watched and, uh, that documentary is exhausting, but the cool parts of it is when they have like the animated sections. Um, mm. That's like like the the part of that documentary that I'm I was all about. There's there's also uh, this interview with him talking about at that time he really didn't want to help with like the cleaning and and cooking and stuff. He didn't pay any bills, and whenever Tracy would try to talk to him about it, he would say, "Okay, I'll just go live in my car," because he was saying like I have already been homeless. I'm only doing this because you'll have me. If you don't want me, if you want me to do more than I care to do, I'm I'll just go live in my car. And then she would always be like, "Okay, you can stay." And that then they would go shopping and stuff and he's like, "I didn't have any money," but she would be like, "Do you want this?" And so he was like, "She would just give me gifts and let me stay there." God. It's also good to note uh with a bit of levity here that, you know, we're talking about kind of bummer stuff and like, oh, stuff that sucked in his life, but uh, it was around this time that when he was living with Tracy, he was known for having a bunch of pets and he cared so much about his animals. Like apparently he was just like an avid animal lovers. It, he always was taking in pets to always take care of them. Apparently it was like a zoo. The friends at the time who knew them said like, Oh yeah, that apartment was like a zoo, but also he had like a, a, a pet rat that he really, he loved and all that kind of stuff it just so there there's a bit uh a note of like hey he was a guy uh outside of this like cult of like mysticism that he has nowadays what what he didn't care about were flies because he said that at one point he was like flies were extremely attracted to him and he uh, he went to like a dollar store and got a bunch of fly tape traps and just like hung up like 40 of them on the ceiling of the room that they were in because it was a small apartment and he said he woke up and there was just like hundreds of flies stuck to all those traps jesus and that picture in mental that mental picture seems disgusting yes that's 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 about as bad as this drink (laughs) (laughs) i like to think of his apartment uh like an actual like those nine inch nail music videos which are just supposed to give you like that body horror uh mentality but like actually the, that's what his apartment was like was a chamber shit. i would say i would <laughs> yeah. say also that like like the this moment in his life where he's not having a job and uh he's like threatening to go live in his car that's not really like a bummer that's kind of like a dick move that's like that's like kind of a manipulative thing to do to somebody to be like like somebody you're in a relationship with and be like oh uh well i'll just live in my car then and she's like well i don't want you to do that i just want you to clean like if you're just like just 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 be here and help like it's not cool just to clarify anybody listening it's not cool to act like that yeah don't do that that's not a good thing Uh, i'm gonna go try that with my fiance (laughs) (laughs) hey will you clean up your mess i'll just go live in my car she would be like go for it asshole Uh, yeah, I, and it's it, like it, it's at this point in his life uh, where you know he's he's definitely getting more into the writing, and then like we said, at seventeen, about that age, starts playing uh, with Chris Novoselic. Uh, and man, like you said last time, it's really important that we say his name correctly because holy <laughs> shit, everyone says Novoselic, and I'm like, where'd you get that? Where did you get that? Read. I bet you Polly Shore says it that way. 
Chris Novoselic. Wow, that was a great Polly Shore. Yeah, Dave, you have to you have to pronounce his name every time we say it now. Yeah. Okay. Can you can Jackson, can you just edit it in so every time one of us says Chris, it just it just has Dave going, Chris Novoselic. <laughs> no. Ah, oh, damn it. That's a you lot guys of work. Just, you guys say Chris. You guys say Chris and I'll go, Novoselic. Okay, so when uh, I say Chris, you say Novoselic. <laughs> <laughs> the wine's the wine's working. <laughs> it's not. Um, so, just so, straight from the bottle, baby. Uh, I will once I finish this glass. I'm just being polite. Um, so, uh, at so yeah, yeah, like I said, he starts playing with Chris. Novoselic. Um, and, uh, they start writing and they start touring pretty quickly. Uh, they, they do a lot of covers. They, uh, they, they get into it pretty quick. And we talked a lot about, you know, the drummers that they had and, and the, the releasing of all the music and everything. Um, before I get into some, the actual like real downer stuff, does anybody have anything they want to talk about in this, this, this section of his time? No, not really. I think this is a good point to jump ahead since I know we, at this point, they they're about to release bleach and if you want to hear our thoughts on the band nirvana's career all three of their albums just go back and listen to the episode uh maybe i'll give the director's cut and just uh, slice it in right here sometime but uh you guys don't pay me enough all you listeners get this for free so uh i'm not doing that yet yeah spotify where's our fucking deal um so uh yeah so then we 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 jump ahead uh, I'm going to jump jump around a little bit. Um, so in 1987, that was the first time that uh, Kurt Cobain did heroin. Um, and we mentioned last time that he did it because of, 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 of a stomach pain. Um, he did it because of undiagnosed bullshit. stomach pain. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks it's bullshit. There's also a part of me that's like, it could have been real. Like the stomach pain could have like, it could have totally existed. I mean, the way that people talked about his stomach pain, it made it seem like that was a real thing. Um, but it, it, and he, he did go to the doctors and they did see certain things in his, in his stomach that were not good. Um, but there's, there's also a point where it's like, you know, you, you, you don't do heroin for your stomach pain. You no, know? I guess that's, that's what I'm saying is bullshit. I mean, he was 13 years old and couch surfing and getting drunk. Yeah. Uh, he it was a different time back then. So of course, I think ultimately he just progressed to trying heroin one time, not, in an effort to fix his stomach pain, but as a byproduct of taking the heroin and its effects, it did help with his stomach pain. Yeah. And he was, uh, and he was, uh, 20. And I guess, uh, he, he supposedly the first time he tried it, he was still living with Tracy and Tracy didn't know about it. Um, which is, uh, kind of crazy. She, you know, she was like, uh, she said it, people told me that he, he, started doing heroin when he was living here, but I saw no evidence or proof of that. But that, I mean, that's about the truth. So, and he wrote in, he wrote, he wrote in his journal. Even Chris was not really aware of it early on and they were touring. Yeah. Um, so 1987, that's when that starts. And then I'm going to jump ahead even further. And, uh, also in his journal, before I do that, he did say that he stopped in 1990. That's if he stopped, it was for like a minute. Um, cause it's (laughs) not, it's not, it's not like that, like, really ever That's stuck not, not something that we know a lot more about right like if there was a period where he actually did stop it's not really covered there's one there's one period in his life where he did stop that is confirmed and we'll get to that um so uh in 1991 
um, he meets Courtney Love. And how they meet is, uh, you know, I think that Courtney Love wanted to meet Kurt Cobain. I think that that like was like something that she really needed to happen in her life. <laughs> okay, so I watched an interview with Billy Corgan the other day, and he talks about how at that time, the night that Kurt met Courtney, Courtney was trying to get into a Smashing Pumpkins concert. And she said that she wanted to sleep with uh, Billy Corgan. Oh. And he said, he was like, and I was totally down because I was very attracted to her. But when uh, something happened and and he didn't end up wanting to sleep with her. So then he was like, and then she went down the street and met Kurt Cobain and the rest is history. I just want to let you all know that Billy Corgan is also an unreliable narrator. Yeah, and... yeah. yeah that's an understatement. I don't know if you guys can trace back the day that you lost respect for Billy Corgan as a person and just decided that you only had to think of him as a musician. But for me, it was the day that I realized he had a very extensive relationship with Tila Tequila. And oh, she's that's, Tila that's Tequila awesome. is just bad on a lot of levels. But How uh, dare you, you know, honestly? She How dressed up as a Nazi and <laughs> uh, took pictures. Like, there are pictures of it. It's crazy. So... uh Rest in peace, Billy Corgan, as a person. I only like the Smashing Pumpkins. But that that story sounds like like a scene out of Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that like I think that uh, Courtney Love did want to sleep with Kurt Cobain. I think that was something that she really wanted. Uh, so they met at a Butthole Surfers concert, which is just great. Yeah, that's band name of the century. Yeah, great band name. Butthole Managed to surfers. be successful. Good for you. Um, so they uh, quickly bonded over, you know, they, 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 their love of music. Uh, they, you know, they, they both were in this same kind of scene. And uh, then they also bonded over the fact that they loved drugs. That was a really big bonding point for them. Is they loved to get fucked up. Um, so I, that, that probably was like maybe one of the more horrifying parts of Montage of Heck is all of the things that are filmed in their apartment um in their in their their first year together um it's hard to like really sit there like courtney love is uh, i like i had a hard time with this because i was trying to decide if i wanted to be nice about courtney love this episode or not until obviously up to a point but i mean watching those 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 fucking like home movies if you want to call them that is like god you suck you just need attention you're so annoying god not only was it at home but kurt was saying that they would like uh, get really messed up and go about town and like they would have sex in alleyways and try to be very vulgar on purpose they would go to restaurants and cause scenes and get kicked out and he was like i just we just really loved causing a scene and stirring up shit because it's not like, cool people, it's people not cool. have these boring lives where they're just going out for a nice meal and we wanted to make it more interesting for them and ruin their evenings yeah fuck you that's stupid i mean that does fit with everything else that we yeah. you know, have said mm-hmm. about him, like saying he wanted to be considered gay because it really upset homophobes. Like it all, that all fits. If you were having a good life and you were enjoying your time as a regular person going through your regular life, Kurt hated you. <laughs> <laughs> if you are listening to the, this podcast and you don't know why people don't like Courtney Love, first of all, who are you who is listening to this like relatively unknown music podcast and don't know who Courtney Love is and why people don't like her? Second of all, all you need to do, and uh, we're not going to put this in the show notes, but 
there is a picture of Courtney Love like in the 2000s or something where she supposedly the story behind this is she went to a Wendy's and uh, ordered her food and then there's a picture of some dude taking like a selfie with her and then there's another stranger and she had lifted up her shirt and this stranger is sucking on her nipples it is the strangest picture ever but that just pretty much sums her up in general imagine if that was your if that was your overall description as a person like how would you describe jackson uh well i got this great picture and that says all you need to know (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and Courtney Love was like, uh, you know, she 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 came from money. She had a trust fund. You know, she she was like part of the scene while also not being part of the scene because of like her background. Um, you know, she she was more than happy to buy the drugs for everybody as well as do the drugs with everybody. She really wanted to be part of the scene. I think that's an important like part of that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also credit where credit is due is she was in a band. She was in Hole, which was a successful 90s band. Yeah, so yeah. It wasn't like she had no merit not, to be there. Like, she it, is successful in her own right. And she and she was absolutely convinced that, that Hole was going to be more successful than Nirvana, which is, like, such a weird thing to think about your partner. Like, Look how that how, turned out. How, how, how weird is it? <laughs> Like, would, would any of us in this fucking call right now, as soon as it's done, go into the other room and go, like, I bet I'm going to be better at the same job than you? To our, like, why would you ever say that to your partner? That's so bizarre. <laughs> I'm going to be a better co-host than Adam next week. <laughs> Fuck that Adam guy. Yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, they, they, they quickly bonded. They quickly uh, uh, they, they had their apartment together. And uh, they got married in 1992. Um, and when they got married, Courtney Love was uh, already pregnant. Um, she was she was already pregnant with their child, Francis Bean Cobain. Um, I I love that name. It's the cutest name in the world. It and, is. And Francis was the cutest baby. Oh my God, Francis was such a cute baby. Um, no, babies are not cute. Shut the fuck up. Get out of here. Oh. Uh, uh, so. Um, while she was pregnant, it came out in a Vanity Fair article that she uh, she had used heroin early uh, on. Right? She didn't know she was pregnant. Yeah. Um, there are supposedly toxicology reports uh, uh, that say, or not sorry, not toxicology reports. That's uh, that's later. Uh, she they they were giving her methadone during her uh, birth during the birth uh, perf- was the word not surgery, whatever. Um, but they were giving birth. You can just birth. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. Uh, so they were giving her methadone, which is a very common thing that you give to heroin addicts. Um, but the the other thing about heroin is that it stays in your body for like a weird amount of time. So uh, I think they were giving it to her as like a um, a detox thing as well to help with as well as well to help Francis during the birth because Francis probably needed methadone as well. Oh God. Yeah. So this Nothing is... disgusts me more than parents making irreversible decisions for infants yeah so this is the point where uh kurt and courtney will get clean for a minute because um because of the everything coming out about their their heroin usage um and they they don't stop like I, i'm fairly certain as soon as francis was born i think she started doing heroin again um but this is after Nevermind, right yes yes um as soon as as soon as uh, uh francis is born she starts doing she starts using again 
um, the, uh, the 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 state takes Francis away from them, and uh, I think she stays with Courtney Love's sister. I think that's where Francis went. Um, but so the state takes Francis away, and they have to get clean. And so they get clean. They get clean, and they have to uh, uh, you know give urine samples every month or whatever, and get tested. So they did get clean for a little bit. wasn't uh, wasn't super long, but they did get clean, so they could get Francis back. It was during that time that Kurt did all those interviews for about a son, I think. And he talks about uh, in retrospect of drug use, like he's never going to use it again. And he says that anyone that that um, it was kind of interesting, but he says anyone who thinks that they should decide to do heroin, please don't do it. He was like, I'm lucky enough that I'm a, a millionaire rock star and I have things that I that I own that I love. I have a kid. I have a wife and I'm a famous musician. I have the resources needed to stay clean, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And so the guy interviewed him. I can't remember his name right now, but he was like, so you're kind of saying that you're privileged in a way, but uh, Kurt's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I know it sounds stupid that I'm saying I can get away with it, but if you start doing heroin, it will lead to death. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was really good that he got clean because, I mean, they really did love Francis a whole, a whole heck of a lot. They, uh, they, they loved Francis and, and in, in a lot of ways they were loving her in all the right ways. And they, 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 they could have been amazing parents. Um, but it doesn't take long for them to, uh, start using again, because keep in mind, this is in 92. Um, so, I mean, there's, there, it, it, there's, the timeline isn't like very long here. It's not like we have another 10 years for him to be clean and then start using again. He starts using again pretty quickly. Um, and it starts to affect a whole bunch of his life. Not only was, not only were they using, but everyone they had around them at that time, pretty much everyone around them were also using even their nanny, uh, Michael DeWitt, AKA Callie. Callie. You guys want to know why he was nicknamed Callie? Because he was from California. From California. Because <laughs> he talked like Polly Shore. <laughs> Nova Selich. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it is definitely you know th- their their group of friends is not really awesome. So like the, the there's the thing that I'm not gonna really get into too much, but Kurt Cobain and Axl Rose did have a bit of a feud. Um, the only thing I'm gonna say about it is that. Uh, at the end of like what really got the feud crazy was when Axl Rose had enough of Kurt Cobain and just called him a junkie and called him and Courtney junkies. And in Montage of Heck, there is a scene where they're making fun of that. And they're like, they're like faking, like shaking like junkies to make fun of like him calling them that. It's like, hey, but you are. Hey, but you and all your friends are junkies. It's really gross. Like, it's not cool. Like, don't like, why are you making fun of this? Um, so yeah, all of like all of their friends uh, were were that they, they were around were all junkies too, which is just is just so sad. Yeah. So uh, then all of uh, it starts to really affect like the band and a lot of other aspects of his life. Did you guys watch the, the SNL performance when he's all strung out? I didn't know. rewatch it, but I've seen it before. It's a, it's a performance on SNL where it's very clear that he is he's. On, he's high on heroin during the performance and uh was it he, before or after he notoriously like overdosed in his hotel room 
this is before this is so he does od this is this is like a time this is one of his his overdoses is after this performance um but it's it's not this is before the hotel room um so yeah if you watch the video you can see that he is uh very clearly on heroin like when he walks off the stage like almost like falls over um it's 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 really hard to watch really really hard to watch i just uh, you know i i watched a, a howard stern clip with dave Grohl talking about at that time what it was like and he said dave Grohl was basically like hey i don't do drugs and i haven't for a long time and kurt did and everyone around him who did or everyone who was around him did do drugs and the way he described it was if you did drugs you were in if you didn't you were out so we had little to no contact with him at that time yeah i do really want to give dave Grohl props like you know i'm not a huge fan of his music but like it's great to see like from post nirvana to now like how he has gotten way more comfortable of talking about that period of his life and being open about it and just saying, Hey, this is what it was like. And hopefully it can be more of a cautionary tale tale to people because it's like, no, I didn't lose the front man of my van. No, I didn't lose the, like my bill payer. I lost a friend and all that kind of stuff. So like, it's really good. Cause at the beginning, you know, obviously he didn't want to talk about it. He would just brush it off and be like, ah, I was just the drummer in that band. Uh, listen to my new band. But now he's gotten to the point where he's like, hey, I miss him. He should be here right now. That kind of thing. So well, yeah. not, really... to, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but like he for the first year that after Kurt passes away, Dave Grohl can't even touch a drum set or listen to music at all. Yeah. And then when he starts the Foo Fighters, every question they get at interviews and shows is, is just Dave Grohl answering questions about Kurt. And at shows, they were like, play Marigold, which was yeah. the, or Marigold, sorry, which is the song that he wrote while he was in Nirvana and is a B-side to their uh, to the uh, amazing album in utero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a, a clip in the Foo Fighters documentary back and forth that's like really annoying to watch is like him on stage and it's like in between all the songs and they're about to count in the next song and you just you just hear fans marigold marigold and Play the, marigold. the frustration on dave Grohl's face is just like I, i'm just over this i'm just so over this and they asked the drummer uh, the first drummer william like what do you think about all these questions about kurt and he's like uh it's fine uh i don't even want to answer those fucking questions yeah yeah they're I'm like la- do you I'm... feel bad not being asked any questions about you and he's like i don't i don't care i don't want to answer any questions yeah <laughs> Um, so now we get to the uh, the uh, overdose in the hotel in Rome. Um, so this is uh, the, we're 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 in 1994 now, um, and this happens in March of 94. Be the beginning, right? The beginning of March. Yeah, they're playing in Munich on March 1st, and then Kurt has uh, some sort of laryngitis after the show. They decide to cancel the rest of the tour. Courtney flies to Germany to be with Kurt and this is March 4th when uh when he overdosed. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 go to Rome and uh they decide to uh have a bunch of champagne and Rehypnol, which is roofie, <laughs> brought up to the hotel room. I can't remember how much Rehypnol they ordered. I foolishly didn't write it down. It's an insane amount. Absolutely okay. insane amount. So here's here's where the confusion if it hasn't already begun really sets in about the the how this entire thing was handled uh courtney says that there was i think 60 that he took 60 pills rohypnol pills 
and the toxicologist at the hospital later on in an interview said that there's no there was no evidence of that many pills being in his system yeah yeah and and this also after the overdose is when courtney says that was a suicide attempt but everyone at the hospital said that it was not a suicide attempt that yeah it didn't look like a suicide attempt and then apparently he left a note uh for this and we i don't we haven't seen this note no we have not seen this note uh, but so he did th- this is th- him going to the hospital is interesting because all the footage of this like hospital visit is with is featuring Courtney Love but in the Foo Fighters documentary uh Pat Smear is the one that supposedly like is, is the one that takes him to the hospital and he he says that he wasn't sure if he wanted to go to the hospital and say like this is Kurt Cobain need to help him now or if he was going to be like let's just let, let's let's play low here because he knew yeah, that if he said this is this my is, friend, he's overdosing. Because yeah. if he knew that if he said it was Kurt Cobain, then the immediately the news would be all over it, and that's exactly what happened. And didn't Pat Smear say that that was the last time he talked to him? No, like when he when he woke up. No, because uh, well, he he had a voicemail on his on his uh, on oh, okay. his phone. Pat Smear did, but I guess that was the last time maybe he like actually talked to him face to face. Uh, but so yeah, so everybody around at that time said that he didn't seem suicidal. Um, he was just taking a lot of drugs, and it was really bad. Uh, the he was call... also unhappy with the way the band was going, and he did. Uh, some people did think that that note he left was basically him saying he wanted to retire. Yeah. And the day of that show, so the day before, he called his uh, attorney. And was like, I want, I want Courtney out of the, out of my will, and we're because I'm gonna file for divorce. I don't want to be with Courtney anymore. Yeah. So he, um, so he's he's in the hospital. He gets calls from his friends. Dave Gall calls him and is like, Hey, man, I like he said he's he 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 was his friend and he says to him, I, I don't want you to die. I don't want that. And Kurt Cobain's like, Yeah, man, I, I'm I, I, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. I won't do that. So then we uh, get to uh, mid-March, and Courtney Love calls the police saying that Kurt has locked himself in a room with a gun and is suicidal. It's March 18th. So March 9th, five days after he's in Rome, he gets released. They fly back to Seattle. And then March 18th, that's, that's when uh, he, Kurt locks himself in the room with a gun and he's suicidal, according to Courtney Love. Yeah, and the cops are like, um, so no, that's not what happened at all. Uh, the cops don't see that at all. They they do take his guns and pills away, but they're like he 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 wasn't suicidal. Uh, he seemed fine. And uh, Kurt told the cops he locked himself in the room to get away from Courtney. So, yeah, and I think at that point too, when the cops showed up, Kurt wasn't even in the room anymore. He was on the other side of the house. Yeah, he he was like like they opened the door, and Kurt's like like they could see him. I think when they opened the door, like when Courtney let them in. Um, so then the intervention happens uh, shortly after that. Uh, with his label and Courtney and a lot of like, a lot of people were there. A lot of people at the are at the intervention. Yeah, we get a new a new character in the story named Dylan Carlson, who is like supposedly his best friend from childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, they get him to go to rehab, which is the rehab facility he went to the first time, I believe, when he got at, when he actually got clean. Exodus Recovery Center, and he didn't like it very much. He did. He he remember he. I think he there was some somebody had said that he hated that place. Um, yeah, but he was getting along with the staff and, you know, they would talk about it. They were trying to do, you know, they were going through the, the process of, of uncovering what was wrong with him and, you know, how his childhood was. 
he was getting visits from Francis and he seemed happy and uh yeah yeah the re so the rehab center is in LA I think I think we said that but uh, yeah, rehab center LA. is in LA um and uh shortly after he's there he escapes and when which we, he joked about yeah it's really it's really clear to also like say he escaped by jumping over uh, a six foot tall fence so yeah. <laughs> not really like a big uh, escape like like move there <laughs> no and and that recovery center you can leave at your own will so they yeah. were like you could have just he could have just walked out the front door it's that fucking rick and morty bit yeah but he he needed to have a good story about it i think that goes back to you know that kind of thing with him just kind of exaggerating certain aspects of his life i'm sure that had to be part of it was like well if i escape that says more than just checking himself out i don't know if there were paparazzi back then but maybe they knew kurt was there and maybe that's why he went That could back. be pretty likely. Yeah. And, and also, like, uh, maybe he was thinking, like, uh, I don't want, like, anyone to know that I'm leaving. So if he walked out the door, maybe that, like, they would call people and be like, hey, he's leaving. But then he just went to a fucking airport and bought a plane ticket. So it's not like he's hiding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not like anything. That's just so weird. It's so weird. And on that flight, uh, he sits next to none other than Duff McKagan. Of the bass player for uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and apparently they were super friendly to each other. Even yeah, though... he said he was like really nice to him, and he thought that was weird in hindsight. Yeah, and I think uh, in an interview with Dave Grohl, Duff McKagan said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry I didn't try to help your friend more." Oh my god. Yeah. Jesus. Jeez. Yeah. By the way, uh, I have a picture of a kitten just pulled up. Like genuinely, I do. I'll I'll send y'all uh, the picture. <laughs> In a bit, but I just have it pulled up to keep me just kind of smiling a little bit. But you have a cat. It, it, it's my palate cleanser. Okay. My Open palate cleanser cat. is actually drinking this wine because I finished your nasty-ass concoction. Yeah. Yeah, where uh, the three of us are on the bottle now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'm just glad that there's nothing in this world Dave hates more than uh, parents who make unchangeable uh, decisions on their children, which means he does not hate this drink the most in the world that's a win but it's number two and that's like a that's also says how bad it is right next to uh uh, fetal drug addiction fetal alcohol syndrome is the drink you made me drink tonight (laughs) tomato potato oh my god um okay okay so yeah let's get back on track we're at uh right around the early april right so he just flew back to LA. So he flew back to LA, and um, during these next couple days, uh, there's like a couple of sightings around Seattle. Um, he does he does go home, and he does see uh, Callie. Um, he he like sits on Callie's bed and like wakes him up. It's like, what's up, dude? Like he's super smiley. Um, uh, yeah, with Callie and his Callie's girlfriend at the time. Okay, so we we didn't mention this yet. Callie is Courtney Love's ex boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, also, it, it, just look up a picture of him because he's uh, <laughs> he's a rough looking dude. Yeah, junky, big junky. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you know he was seen there, and then he is kind of walking around Seattle. Um, he is seen at some stores, and you know maybe uh, he he bought some stuff. There's credit card records, which we'll get into that more a little in a little bit. Um, so then uh, while while he's missing from the uh, rehab. Uh, Courtney Love is in L.A. because she's going to go to rehab as well. Um, but while she's there, she hires a private investigator, Tom Grant. This is April 3rd. So let's talk about 
what a private investigator is for a minute. What do you guys, what do you guys think? Adam, what's a private investigator? <laughs> Someone who's hired to investigate something privately, but not by the police or any okay, government. No. Okay, yes. Do it they... again without using private or investigator in the definition. <laughs> no, I'm good. I think I did a good job. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you this question then. Are private investigators police? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Well, we're, we're maybe private... off-duty cops who can't go to work right now. Maybe I don't know. We're, I don't know what the rules are. Were private investigators perhaps at one time a cop? That's potentially right. Yeah. So Tom Grant was a police officer, and he was a when he was uh in, in I think he was a member of the LAPD. When he was, he was a very young member. He was a, he quickly became a detective on this certain force, and uh, he quit being a cop at a pretty young age because of uh, it was taxing. And he, uh, oh, is that the cat? That's the cat. That's the cat. I don't want to look at it. I'm good. I'm I, having I, it up uh, on my screen too. Um, so Tom Grant uh, becomes, he, he leaves being a police officer and he opens uh, a record store uh, because he loves music. And uh, uh, he, I believe he becomes a punk punk show promoter as well, which is how Courtney Love like knew him. That was the connection to Tom Grant. All, all these years of not really knowing uh that about tom grant and what what his involvement is in this whole scenario when you told me that he was he was he owned a record store i was like man this makes so much fucking sense now right but here's the big thing about the record store it was only in business for two years it didn't it didn't go well so <laughs> well and, and according to tom grant courtney reached out to him because it was uh close to easter yeah yeah and tom grant's law or tom grant's business was the only one open on easter yeah so he yeah. was a small profile private investigator that um, would just happen to be open that day. Yeah. So PIs are like definitely uh, they, 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 they can be trusted. I'm not saying Tom Grant can't be trusted. It's just really important to note that private investigators are not the police. And sometimes that means they can like do stuff that the police won't do or whatever. But it's... Well, they're they're paid by the person who hires them. So they have a like reason to maybe go along with what that person wants to find to some degree and you do have to like but you do have to take private investigators with like this extra grain of salt because they're basically just like i decided to be a pi and that's what i'm doing now there's not like a license there's not it's not it's, it's a very easy thing to just go do i'm so, gonna be a professional nosy person yeah yeah exactly um so i hire that they like to bust wise guys <laughs> wise guy huh <laughs> Uh, Dave, yeah. congrats on your new career. <laughs> no, I'm not Frank Caliendo is about to get fucked. <laughs> and if and if any of our listeners are PIs, I, I'm not shitting. I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on your career. It's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's a choice. It's an interesting choice. But Tom Grant did. Uh, he pretty quickly. So at this time, Courtney was in. She was in an assisted living home. Yes. But it wasn't monitored and she had plenty of people coming in and out, you know, yes. like supposedly, according to Soak the Bleach, like his drug dealer or her drug dealer was there and, you know, people were stopping by. And Tom Grant, that's the first time he met up with her, was at that place. And uh, he quickly was like, hold on a second. Something is not right. You want me to find your husband, but you also seem very fucked up and sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's, the hiring of Tom Grant, um, he makes his way to Seattle. 
Uh, and people, you know, uh, Tom Grant and I guess somebody else goes to the house before April. It was 8th. Dylan. Yeah, it was Dylan. That's right. And um, uh, they they don't find Kurt. They they can't find him. So uh, for a couple days, for a few days, he is continues to be missing. Um, April seventh, Nirvana pulls out of Lollapalooza, um, which is interesting timing. Um, but at the time, too, Courtney was pissed that Kurt wanted to pull out of Lollapalooza, and, yeah. and she says supposedly that love, or not love, hole, <laughs> love hole. Uh, it's a better name than Hole. It's a better name than Hole. <laughs> Courtney's band Hole was at, was asked to play Lollapalooza, and she turned it down. Uh, whether it's because they were re- currently recording an album or because she says that she wanted Nirvana to do it, but she also wasn't. Oh, she 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 wasn't recording her album. Her album comes out the next week. Hole's oh, new album. Yeah. Hole's album comes out the the following week. Or right. is it that Friday? I can't remember to say it's right around this time. Holes so then it's that out. she she wants Nirvana to do it, and then she's pissed at Kurt because that's what she said, $9 million or something that they, the band yeah. was going to get. Yeah. And she was pissed at him for wanting to back out of it. She was yeah. like, we could have done that. I hate him for doing that. So um, then on April 8th, there is an electrician that goes to the home of uh, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain, and he uh, finds Kurt's body in the greenhouse. Um, now this guy, and I intentionally did not write down his name because he's a scumbag and deserves fucking nothing. He called a local radio station first and then the radio Ooh. station, the radio station called the police, the radio station. That's not how you reach the police in Seattle. <laughs> it's just call the, he called the radio the, station. Uh, the radio station is first. He, he called the local rock radio and was like, boy, do I have something for you? And like asked for like free tickets to like some shows because he gave him the information. So then the wow. rock the rock radio station then uh, calls the police and the police show up and the investigation begins. Um, uh, he the the body was he, he it's believed he died on April fifth. That's the, the the date that everyone kind of has agreed upon is the day that he died. So I wonder, you know, what's interesting for me is that he was definitely dead for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, his body's found on the eighth, but on the seventh is when they pull out of Lollapalooza. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, and I, I don't understand fully. I think that's just coincidence. I think that, that yeah, I that's mean, just, I, a... I couldn't find, well, no, what I'm saying is like, Kurt clearly didn't express his opinions on that. I think he probably had told them like, we don't want, like, I don't want this. I don't want to do yeah. it. I mean, I, I imagine it had to be a mix of that. And if they couldn't like reach him, then they have to cancel too at that point if they had to make a decision by a certain date. Yeah, I I don't know. I I didn't read anything about that, but I would imagine that's a factor in that. Yeah. So we we now get into the investigation, and the investigation uh, they they find um, they find uh, uh, he's holding a shotgun. They find that there's a suicide note um, or a note um, that appears to be a suicide note. They find uh, more ammo. For the shotgun, and uh, I believe there were needles around him too. Yeah, there was a whole kit. Yeah, like yeah. a heroin kit. Yeah. Um. So and an empty pack of cigarettes or something, and yeah. his wallet. So yeah, the wallet being next to him is because people people for a long time people said it was just his ID or his ID was taken or something like that. It's like no, his wallet was just right there. Yeah. Um, I mean his his ID was out, but it was the investigators that took it out so this is the other thing that like is really important to note um and, and that is that 
like most, unfortunately, like most high-profile cases like this, most of the time the crime scene is incredibly mishandled. Um, So there was some mishandling here and there. Uh, What's weird is that, um, like, a lot of times, like, uh, like investigators and CSI people will move something and then they'll, or they'll, like, trip and kick something because, like, the gun was in a weird place. The gun was in a very strange location. And the, the idea is that potentially, like, a, a CSI might have, like, kicked it and then just tried to put it back kind of where it was. But normally, cops will admit to that. They'll normally admit if they did something. Um, but that's an explanation as to why the gun was in a weird location is because somebody just tried to put it back roughly where they saw it. And the the problem with that is, so the gun was found uh, trigger side up, yeah, and it was it was a kind of between half between his legs, half on his stomach, and he was gripping it. Now, when you when at at death, uh, at the at the first moment of death, you your body locks up, yeah, and his left hand was locked up on the barrel of the gun, with such force that it would be unlikely that could have they could have even moved that yeah. gun, yeah. Uh, so, um, the, the whole, the whole investigation is all over the place. Everyone is talking about what is happening here. Um, so, uh, I have like- Tom Grant's upset that they won't let him in at the scene. Yeah. He's like, Uh, I have something about your, your, I have something about this. And the uh, Seattle police chief is like, no, we don't want to talk to him right now. We'll, uh, we'll question you later. Yeah. And he's like, Tom Grant's like, oh, you mean to tell me that, uh, you know, if I were the chief of police there, if I had something very important, you, I would have, I would have pulled that person in and said, "Don't let them go until we know everything they know." And he's already butthurt about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, he he used to be a cop, you know, so they should take him seriously. Yeah, years yeah. ago, he used to be a cop. Um, <laughs> so the it, it's interesting um, just to like kind of see. I mean, obviously, the reaction around the world is is everyone is heartbroken. It's very sad. Um, and the immediate the immediate thought is that uh, he committed suicide, um, and uh, the, even like the head investigator is kind of sketched out on that, just based on like what they found at the scene. So um, I've, I've I've got a couple interesting things that they found at the crime scene that uh, that people have questioned over the years. So the first one is the suicide note. Um, you can anyone can Google the suicide note and take a look at it. Um, it is it is heart wrenching. Um, so the two issues that people have found with the suicide note is that, um, there are two kind of sections of the note. The first section kind of reads like he wants to quit the music industry. And then the second section is different handwriting. And it's like the very like heart wrenching thing that looks like a suicide note. So it could have, yeah, it's like just larger, larger writing. Yeah. So, um, there are, uh, pe- people question whether or not uh, somebody else wrote the second that that second section of the suicide note, and if it wasn't if it was Kurt or not. Um, and then, uh, especially if that first part was just him leaving the music industry, um, so uh, it it is definitely a question to see wh- which one is which. Uh, but so linguist a linguist expert read the suicide note and said that it's or read the note and said it's a suicide note uh, just outright was like that's it it's a suicide note different the, the difficulty there is that that's kind of like a subjective opinion uh being a linguist expert is definitely a helpful thing but it, i mean you're kind of reading it and getting your own opinions based on that the other is a handwriting expert 
multiple handwriting experts over the years have uh, analyzed this. Uh, they kind of have said every, a little bit everything that this could have been Kurt, that, that this could have been uh, somebody else. Um, but it's possible to still be Kurt, even though the handwriting looks different. One thing that helped them uh, find some potential differences was that Courtney Love had left her backpack at um, what was that girl's name at Rose was it Rosemary Carroll's office or something mm-hmm. and in that backpack were some it looked like Courtney Love was practicing yes Kurt's handwriting but uh, a lot of people say that it was just because at that time he didn't want to deal with the business side of things and Courtney was forging signatures and stuff like that right which all of that makes sense um yeah so but, uh one one guy said uh he's, he was quoted as saying as for the last four lines of the of the letter there are more than a dozen differences that should give us pause and we would have to reasonably explain these differences to conclude that the same person who wrote the bulk the, who wrote the bulk of this letter is the same person that concluded the letter well, I will say that before I get into why I think it looks this way, um, that I, I do honestly think that uh, that this was something that Kurt did. Uh, looking at his journals, everything looks different. Everything, every, every, not everything, but like, you know, you'll see a page and you'll see a different page and it, the handwriting is different. Sometimes it's the same, but sometimes it's different. And I'm sure they've analyzed that. I'm sure, I mean, I'm no, I'm no handwriting expert, so I can't take a look at that. But that's, that when I was watching soaked in, uh, uh, not soaked in bleach. And I was watching a montage of Peck and they were like showing his journal entries. It's like, Hey, that, that looks different than the last one, you know? Yeah. It's very sporadic looking and, you know, chaotic. Yeah. So the, but what I, what I think is, um, uh, I think that he probably changed the way he was writing because of the amount of heroin in his system. Um, so, okay. So, so now, we're, now ask, we're into the heroin, but go ahead. Uh, your timeline of, of let's say, um, April 5th. Do you think he was, do you think he wrote the most of the note then shot up and then finished the note? Uh, yeah, he probably, he probably had already shot up a little bit, but yeah, he, he, I think he wrote the note and shot up and while he was writing the note, things got a little different and then he finished the note. That seems to make the most sense to me. Yeah, it's just it's 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 a weird thing that people of all the things that I've watched, nobody really tried to paint a picture of the timeline of that of what might have happened in regards to from him getting in the green room to uh, when he took the heroin, when he shot himself and when he wrote the note. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's kind of hard to imagine, but I do think that the, the, the most like most believable option would be that he probably started writing the note he'd already shot up beforehand because that's just you know based on the amount of heroin that was in his system it would make sense and then he shot up more and then he finished the note that makes the most sense to me the thing i always am hesitant with all this kind of stuff is that you know i feel like with someone of this high profile i mean when i got into nirvana he was already dead. This happened in 1994 before I was even born. Um, but this is like on the those levels of like Elvis Presley lives on an island somewhere. Tupac is still alive and he's hanging out with Elvis Presley. And oh, by the way, Kurt Cobain didn't kill himself, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and this is the way I feel about almost all conspiracy theories of like, you know, people saying like, I don't like Courtney Love either, by the way. I think she 
you know, I don't know her personally, but from the outside, she looks like a pretty shitty person. But do I think she killed someone? No, I highly doubt that. But, you know, I, I think it's that same idea of like, it, it's more comforting. I think people find it more comforting than to think like, oh, this person that they idolized is, you know, deeply troubled and like had a really uh, horrible experience. It seemed that led to a really, really bad decision. And that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, well, well, Jackson, uh, she, she didn't kill him. She hired someone to do it. So of course, you know, that's, that, yeah, totally, Ooh. totally, totally right that's on that the one. same thing, by the totally way, different. <laughs> I, I think it's worth mentioning too, that he did die at the age of 27. Uh, so he becomes a part of that stupid, stupid club. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 27 club, but most of the people that were involved in that, that died at the age of 27, it wasn't suicide. It was, uh, although largely self-inflicted through, uh, substance abuse, uh, wasn't necessarily suicide. Yeah. So uh, then we get into the amount of heroin that he had in his system, which people use as a point as to he couldn't have held a gun to his uh, to his face because he was so high. Um, the amount of heroin that he had in his system is the amount that is, it's it's a lethal dose. It's it's a, it, it will kill you. It was one point five two milligrams per liter. So they there's a lot of oddly enough a good amount of studies on this um not exactly this but kind of just the way heroin acts but what i'll i don't want to go into each one but what i will say is that heroin does stay in your system for an odd amount of time it doesn't just leave the next day so the amount that the toxicology report showed could easily just have been a mixture of the day before that is an option Um, and most of the studies they did were were like the patients used methadone yeah, yeah, because you can't really do like actual, you know, studies on heroin. Yeah. Um, the the problem with that is that methadone is is ingested uh, yeah. in pill form, so it doesn't hit. It's not as high a concentration. Yeah, but when you inject heroin, <laughs> God, I can't believe we're talking about this on the music podcast. <laughs> when you inject heroin, it's directly into your 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 bloodstream. Right. Um, so the other point to be made is that uh, Kurt had an, an, a very high tolerance to heroin. Yeah. So that, that is a very important thing to remember is that his tolerance was very high. Now, was his tolerance high enough to, you know, be able to stand and, and potentially hold a gun? Uh, I would say maybe, but I would also say that again, the, the report is unclear if, you know, he took the heroin the day before, like a lot of it the day before, and then some that day, who knows? Another thing that's worth mentioning is that Kurt was at his home. And yeah. he, at this point, his life was living an extremely hectic lifestyle, and his home was probably his safe haven. And it's it's just widely true that uh, your your place of frequent habitual use, if you have a place like a your home where you mostly abuse drugs, your tolerance goes up in that environment, right? As opposed to say, a lot of overdoses happen in airports uh, because. They realize that they have the drugs on them. They got to try to take care of. They try to get rid of them before they get caught, and then they end up overdosing on an unusually small amount of drugs that uh, way less than they're used to because of the foreign environment. So I think you could hypothesize that he was able to have a higher tolerance in that comfort in the yeah. comfort of his own home. Yeah. So uh, then the the other point that uh, I think Davey might have touched on it a little. Oh no, you're talking about Lollapalooza, but stuff was happening. Uh, 
in the days leading up to when they found the body uh, that people saw him around town, but also his credit card was used on February or on April 8th. Uh, his credit card, uh, they, they, he bought flowers. The credit card was used to buy flowers. So here's the thing is with Courtney, she told Tom Grant that she called to cancel the credit cards, right? Yeah. But did she cancel the, this was earlier. So how, if she canceled them, did they deny the cancellation? I, I don't know, but because here's the, the the simple explanation for why the credit card was used on or why why it showed up on a bank record for April eighth is that banks don't work like they do now, <laughs> where like if uh-huh. I use my bank, if I use my credit card, the statement is there. It's on my statement right right away. Right. The computer picks it up. They that's not how banks worked before. So if 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 you bought something on let's say April fourth, it might show up on your statement on April eighth. That actually can still happen too, which is all the more reason to think it did happen. That right. is, if a business doesn't submit their you know transactions for the day or something, it might show up later until it's settled or something. So I don't, I don't, I've never really thought that made any sense as a theory for like, oh, it was you know some conspiracy thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, that that one was one that uh, I thought was really ridiculous. Um, uh, his credit card, I think, was missing from his wallet, um, but there's a number of explanations for that. He could have given it to could have given it to Callie. Could have, I mean, th- th- there's there's a number of reasons why it could have gone missing. Um, so, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little crazy for a second, and I'm gonna take us into some conspiracy theories. And I want to preface this by saying they're all wrong. They're all stupid, okay? Um, I'm only going to talk about two of them uh, because there's way too many. Like, for example, the one, one of the ones I'm not going to talk about is uh, that Kurt Cobain was cheating on Courtney Love. That's who he bought the – he was buying the flowers for somebody because he was seen around town with a different woman. Courtney uh, thought it was his drug dealer. Yeah, it was his drug dealer, yes. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that because that is, there's no – like, it doesn't matter. Um, so the first one that I want to talk about because it's hilarious – is that people think that the CIA had Kurt Cobain killed? So, yeah, Jackson. Yeah. Well, they did. They did kill Bob Marley, right? I mean, for for what it's worth, there's a theory that the CIA has killed everybody. Right. So, yeah. so this is so. Uh, so I I also want to say that I a thousand percent agree with what Jackson said earlier, which is this is it's it's easier in a lot of people's minds to give an answer to have like a bad guy, right? than just to accept that something happened. And and to, to explain that kind of theory even further is that we're looking right now at COVID and people just want to have an explanation for it instead of just say that there's a virus. People are blaming, people are saying it's a conspiracy, like, you know, the government made COVID. This is, or, or you know, it's China's fault. They want to have a bad guy instead of just accepting that things suck sometimes um, and things are sad. So... Uh, I 100% agree with that, con- that 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 theory and that idea. Um, so, people say the CIA killed Kurt Cobain uh, because he was, uh, I guess, inspiring the youth of America, and he was a Clinton. He was a well-known Clinton supporter, and he was getting people to rise up and you know follow the liberal agenda and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, the CIA has supposedly also he the CIA also supposedly killed John Lennon. So. Like I said, and Bob Marley yeah. for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, so that that theory uh, literally has no evidence, literally nothing to prove it. No one has said any. There's there's nothing that actually proves that this is true. Uh, but it is a theory that people believe. And if you believe it, let's talk about it because you're wrong. 
Um, so <laughs> then we get into the big Courtney Love theory, which is that Courtney Love had Kurt Cobain murdered. Now, the big thing to mention here is that I don't really think Courtney Love is capable of any of what's said here. I think that she's a psycho. Uh, that's a rude thing to say. Maybe it's not. She's, I don't know. At, at the very least, manipulative. She's manipulative. She's she's a, she's a little out there, and she definitely likes attention. But I don't really think that personally she she has the like uh, the ability to feel like to be okay with killing, you know, her husband. So there are a lot of like circumstantial things that were going on at the time. Like Dave mentioned, Kurt wanted a divorce. Um, Kurt was trying to get Courtney out of his will. Um, Courtney made him sign a prenup which is a, you know, another thing to, to, to note there with their relationship. Um, but there was a lot of things going on with them that was not good. Uh, so the one that, so the motive for that would have been, um, if he dies before they get divorced, she gets, she gets all as, as a next of kin gets, uh, the inheritance. She gets everything, everything. She gets everything. So, um, the, the big theory that I will cover is that Courtney love, offered a gentleman by the name of Eldon Hoke, or otherwise known as El Duce, $50,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. El Duce was from the band called The Mentors. Dave, what's their, what's the, what's their hit? What's that, what's that hit called that they wrote? <laughs> Is it Donkey Dick? It's called Donkey Dick. I want everyone <laughs> to pause right now. And go listen to Donkey Dick by The Mentors. You don't need to do that. Oh, you should. And if should. you do, if you're going to go listen to Donkey Dick, you need to refill your wine and Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's actually an appropriate to, appropriate drink to drink while you're listening to The Mentors. Uh, so uh, the the claim is that, that, that El Duce makes is that uh, Courtney walked into his place of work and offered to pay him $50,000 to kill Kurt. Uh, El Duce claims this on the Jerry Springer show. We've said this in the National Enquirer and most famously in the documentary, Kurt and Courtney. I love this idea of like, oh, she walked into his place of work and I know he's probably talking about like a coffee shop or some shit like that. That was a record store. It was a record store. Yeah, it was a record store. I love the idea that he's just sitting at his, uh, practice space, uh, the mentor's headquarters and she just walks in i'll give you this much money to kill him and he's like i'm practicing donkey dick can't you see i'm working <laughs> well, he's got a tie on i think he said that she showed up in a limo too which is even more like yeah exactly me? so this is a cartoon uh, yeah it, it is it is so um we uh he, th- this this uh story that he tells it, it, he passes a lie detector test um, and the lie, de- the lie detector test was administered by the same person who gave OJ his famous lie detector test. Uh, so lie detector tests are bunk. Yeah, there a lie detector <laughs> test is inadmissible in court. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but it's interesting. But it that, sounds cool for TV. It's interesting that he uh, that he passed. But so you guys know how how that how they work, right? Like how they read if you're lying or not. So um, do you guys have any guesses as to why he passed the the, the test? He was high as shit. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, he's a junkie. He was he was probably like on an insane amount of heroin and just like was chill. <laughs> he was so chill. Man, if if like this whole thing is is just so fucking confusing because of heroin. If if heroin wasn't around, yes. we wouldn't be doing this episode. So, I well, so there's this great video that Vsauce did on um 
uh, on YouTube and it, it, it talks about coincidences and, you know, people and they birth conspiracy theories because you're like, well, it can't, you can't have coincidences. You can't have those that often. But the thing is, is there are so many people in the world, so many billion people in the world that just statistically, these things that we call coincidences are really not that uncommon. They're frequently common. And it just so happens that these coincidences are now tied to a like very public case that people are really emotional about. Yeah. So so here's an here's another we I mentioned the coincidence last week that the record uh that Bleach cost six hundred and six dollars and Dave Grohl's studio is Studio Six O Six. Uh Kurt and Courtney's entertainment lawyer's name was Rosemary Carroll and uh on the album Wasting Light, on the Foo Fighters album Wasting Light, there's a song called Dear Rosemary. Wow. Dave Grohl had Kurt Cobain killed. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. So, uh, so Probably not first. <laughs> and if you're drinking lots of Dr. Pepper and wine, you're going to wake up tomorrow and go, oh my God, I just had a dream that Dave Grohl killed <laughs> Kurt Cobain. One of my favorite things about the Dr. Pepper and wine is it's very much like drinking a Red Bull and then also having alcohol is one's an upper and one's a downer. So like, you're really going to coast at the same level. You think like it, it, you're just going to, yeah. Send, send the, said the not drinker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. Thing. Yeah. Uh, so, it so then definitely is a thing. It, no, that's a, that, that was the thing for four loco when it had, when it had uh caffeine in it, because it was an insane amount of both things. But when you're right, doing, but, but there's not you, a lot of caffeine in Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Do you know how much caffeine is in Dr. Pepper? It's not, a, I think it's like 40 milligrams or something like that. It's not a lot. If I mean, look, we got to wrap up this episode. I need to go to a Wendy's because I need my titties set. <laughs> so, so to get through the old the El Duce shit, then. So, um, so he was on the famous documentary Curtain Courtney, and he tells the whole story. Um, and he says that he that he didn't kill Kurt, but he knows who did, and then says the name Alan, and then quickly corrects himself and says, "Oh, my friend." And then he's like, "But I'll let the FBI catch him." Uh, everyone assumes he's talking about a guy named Alan Wrench. That is a man's name. That's fake. Nope, he's real. He's in. He was in a. He was in another band in L.A. and he was apparently a uh, total scumbag, like everyone else we've talked about. Um, well, both of those guys, Alan Alan Wrench, if that's your real <laughs> fucking name, and El Duce, were known as guys that would do dirty shit for for, yeah, for not money. Yes. Um, so shortly after he filmed, about a week after he films that interview, El Duce is decapitated on a train track. Now, <laughs> before I even start to talk about, like, any of it, how do you, how? You, the train's coming. You hear it. You hear it's the not, train. I feel like I'm it's... on a Hot Ones interview. This shit's spicing up. <laughs> Dude, it's not like the trains in Denton where they blow every, like, they blow their horn every, like, five seconds. Okay. Regardless of that, if we if if I'm to truly believe the story that is how he died, told by another another guy in the scene, in his in this guy's autobiography, he wrote that uh, there were a bunch of fans of of the mentors on the other side of the train tracks calling oh, no. calling for El Duce, and El Duce tripped <laughs> and then got decapitated. I can't believe I'm laughing at this. That's oh, the story that we're the, supposed to believe. <laughs> the part where he trips and that's how that happens is... There's no way. Right. It just doesn't... 
It's it's or, it's literally it's literally like a, a slapstick comedy with decapitation. It makes no sense. I think Alan Wrench tripped him, and uh, the fans were like really distraught over losing their the lead singer of their favorite band and doing their police reports. They were like, "It was a it was an Alan Wrench. It was an Alan Wrench that tripped him." <laughs> they were like, "Okay, he tripped over a wrench. And yeah, he got decapitated exactly. by a fucking train." So, so the thing with Alan Wrench. So the, the the other story of that night is that Alan showed up to uh, El Duce's house, and they both left together, and. That's the last time El Duce was ever seen alive. Um, dun, dun, dun. So uh, the other thing to note is that El Duce had uh, an insane amount of, of drugs in his system. Uh, so this 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 is the theory we're all supposed to like. That, that This is the, the most prevailing Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain theory. Is that she paid Alan Wrench $50,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. Um so yeah, I, again, I'm not going to go into the, into all the conspiracies because there's so many here. Uh, you know, there's a belief that that Callie, Michael, Michael Dewitt, the 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 nanny, that uh, Courtney asked him to to kill Courtney. Well, and 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 one thing we didn't mention was that so when Tom and Dylan initially went to the house to find Kurt, uh, they missed they missed the greenhouse which was on top of the barn, but they also went back the next day because Courtney had called Tom and said check the secret compartment in our closet because that's where Kurt keeps the shotgun. Yeah. If it's not there, then we know he has it. Yeah. So then they go back and when they get back to the house on the stairs that lead up to the bedroom where they were going to look for it, there was a note from Callie yeah. uh, saying that he was really pissed at Kurt. He doesn't know how he got through the house and the note was not there the day before. Right. So uh, I, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, it, there's 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 so much like circumstantial nonsense that's happening throughout the whole thing, and and uh, you know there's a lot of oh oh I should also say sorry that uh, anyone who does believe that El Duce did it, uh, there is uh, a self published book called Truth Is Funnier Than Fiction by the Mentor's bass player, um, and he said that this the whole story was concocted by the Mentor's associate Reverend Bud Green. In order to sell to supermarket tabloids, <laughs> these fucking names, dude. These names are like El Duce, some high school kid writing a like fan fiction for some terrible movie, or 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 junkies, just junkies. <laughs> that's it. I mean, well, no, there, Bud Green sounds here. like he just smokes weed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Rev- Reverend Bud Green. Reverend Bud Green. Yes, uh, but so so I'm I'm actually inclined to believe that that is the truth. Is that. Uh, Bud Green said we should uh, we should make this story up to sell the tabloids, um, so, which everybody was doing at that time. And very unfortunately, yeah. um, the, the the man who found him literally called a radio station. So if exactly. that's not indicative of how anyone at this time and really today they'll do the same shit. Um, you know, anybody will do anything to try and get their their fame. So. I want to I want to take us all uh, to to the end here. Um, I want us to go around, and I would like for us to uh, say if we think or uh, what 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 our verdict is individually. Um, do we think that he uh, committed suicide, or do we think that someone killed him, or that something more nefarious was at work here? And I will happily go first and say that I think he committed suicide. Um, I think there's just no there's just no evidence to support that he was killed. There's none. Yeah, I think that he. Uh, if I can, if, if you'll indulge me, I think that he went into the green room, he 
started writing the note after injecting a little bit of heroin, just a little tiny bit to calm his nerves. And then he uh, sat down on the floor where his body was found. Uh, after finishing the note, uh, put the shotgun between his legs like he should have, and then did the deed. It was a 20-gauge shotgun, which uh, supposedly is not as strong as you know yeah. you would typically think, which is why there was no... There was no exit wound. And that there was, was no a, exit wound. That's a point and that a lot of people bring up that's like, cool, it wasn't a strong shotgun. I don't know what you, like, what? Yeah, it was enough to do damage. But I think that what that did was uh, um, he was holding it triggered down, and then when he shot the gun, it flipped over. And I think because it's circular, the the barrel he was holding on to talk about the postmortem grip or the death grip or something like that. I think that that didn't set in uh, until the the gun flipped over and that's where he got it and that's why the shotgun shell was on his other side uh i think he killed himself yeah as sad as it is uh, i think he killed himself and i understand everybody grieves in a different way or deals with death in a different way but uh when we're talking about conspiracy theories about like aliens and stuff like that you know that can be fun that can be silly but you know, when you're talking about conspiracy theories that kind of just cover up over really serious issues, which is mental health, which I don't know in the 90s how it was being uh, taken care of mental health. But, you know, I think we're coming around on it and treating it better and better each year. Um, I think, you know, kind of glossing over the fact that it seems he had really, you know, poor situation mental health wise and made one single bad choice, which obviously had permanent effects yeah i think it's pretty clear what happened and people want some other reason or something to be more interesting maybe than the truth which is just he was not having a good time with his life and had suicidal thoughts and then acted out on that because he was under you know influence of a bunch of drugs and that's not like that's a that's pretty well documented like there's no skepticism about that yeah aspect right of the story so it's it's hard to ignore all of that and then go with some theory that is not too grounded in reality and has characters named alan wrench so <laughs> <laughs> well jackson you mentioned uh mental health in the early 90s i think uh we have come such a long way because i would guess that back then uh, especially growing up in such a small town that he did mental health was not even considered it was like if you have a problem too bad you have to go through your life like everyone else we all have problems yeah and you just you're just gonna get a job and try your best you don't need to go see a therapist therapists were looked at much differently in the early 90s uh yeah wasn't because option. you know you have a heart disease and everyone's like yeah that's a real disease we can like yeah we get it but right you, you have a mental health issue, you know, and it's not treated the same way, which yeah. is yeah. completely false. Like anxiety was not a thing that people had back then. It was yeah. a thing people had, but it was not a thing that they, they knew to say, oh, I feel some anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that it, it really like we really have to just just unfortunately sometimes accept that there isn't a bad guy here. Um, there isn't there isn't a bad person person that we can blame for this i think that it is really important for uh us to sometimes accept that things are sad um and it's hard to do um but uh he he unfortunately just didn't get the help that he needed um and and to to just side go back a little bit to what jackson said 
uh, about conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, this they 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 are. If you're talking about aliens, they are like sometimes fun. If you're talking about someone's life, you really need to be sure of what you're talking about here. And um, you know, conspiracy theories have there are plenty that have been proven to be true, um, but it comes in time, and there has to be evidence. And every time that this case is looked at and reopened, people will look at it and go, it's suicide. Like, no one, no, like, everyone who has considered it to be murder, who is, like, a, who's a cop or an investigator, they almost always flip. And they still see that there's something weird that happened there, but, I mean, there's no explanation other than that it was suicide. Um, I think Tom Grant's, like, the only one who I think still thinks that. And Tom Grant has two motives. He wants to get to the to the to what he thinks the truth of the matter is. But also, he's largely motivated by getting justice for the uh, upwards of 70 copycat yes. suicides. And, that's and some, he wants them to stop. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing that I, 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 bef- I, I wanted to mention uh, real quick, which is um, there were, there were uh, yeah, about 70 copycat suicides. And it's something that I thought about a lot this week. And um, it's it's about idealizing people, and um, I think that we as musicians tend to idealize very easily uh, our heroes because I mean like I, I I idealized Dave Grohl for like four years of my life. I wanted to be him, um, and it's a dangerous thing to want to be another person, especially somebody who's in that light and someone like. Kurt Cobain where it's like clear you know watching him in interviews it's like something is something is up with him right um so I I, I just idols are really good it's good to have people you look up to but you, you you just need to be careful because there you know there are things that can happen and not everyone's perfect no one's perfect you know so yeah I remember at Hot Topic they used to sell a uh like a graphic tee of Kurt Cobain's suicide note and I I remember as a kid I was like wow that's so metal as shit but like thinking about that now I'm just like wow I like first of all can't believe I ever thought that was cool and then second of all like wow I can't believe that they sold that shit you know to be honest that 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 blows me away, but I can see being in the same position as you when I was a kid. Cause I hadn't read that full letter until we started doing this episode. Yeah. And when right. I read you it, you would just hear about it. Yeah. I would hear. Thing. And I've even seen it. Like I knew what it looked like. I could have told you before ever reading it, that it was like densely written at the top and then, you know, it got longer at the bottom. Um, it's just so unfortunate the way that that ended up. I can't, I think that, uh, they, they wouldn't have been a band after, uh, they wouldn't have had this long career like no. much of the bands we like. I think three albums, maybe five tops, would have been their discography before they disbanded. Kurt often talked about wanting to collaborate with other people and that he was feeling the the stress of being the sole songwriter. They had a whole dispute about um, Kurt Courtney influencing Kurt to get more royalties for all the stuff because he does write all the songs. Um they weren't getting along or they were, but Chris and Kurt always had a, they, they respected each other, but they didn't like each other. They knew, they just knew when to stop pushing each other's buttons. Yeah. So that it wouldn't go too far. Yeah. So can I, can I ask you guys one question before we, uh, announce what we're doing next week and wrap up this episode? 
Yep. Um, what do you think in, do you think that the wine took away from the Dr. Pepper or the Dr. Pepper took away from the wine? Uh, for me, I would say they, uh, they had a happy marriage in my cup, but I would say that definitely the wine takes a little bit away from my Dr. Pepper. If I may, if I may make a, a bit of a, a topical reference to what we just spoke of, I think the Dr. Pepper Courtney loves my wine. Mm. So no, it's not. It ruins my wine. I think that's that's pretty good. That's a good summary. Next week, uh, we are going <laughs> to be doing a holiday party. <laughs> yeah, we're we're we're, we're, having, we're having the Don't Feed the Artist Company holiday party. Um, we're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about our. Uh, favorite albums of the year and all that sort of stuff and um yeah so th- I, I i really um i have a couple things to say before we close out i uh, at first i want to say again like jackson said at the beginning um if you are feeling um if you are feeling like you are going to harm yourself or harm someone else or uh just any sort of sadness at all get reach out if you have you know reach out to professional if you can Call your friends, you know, if you if you can. This is a hard time, especially right now with COVID, to like you know go see people. But reach out to someone. There is help. Or, um, or there just, are resources. Just, tr- just try something different. Yeah. There, if just one thing will lead to another, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, life is is bigger than where you're at right now. Like, yeah. You can get through a hard time, and you need to because like there are people that love you. Yeah. Um, and then I also want to thank all of you guys for listening to this and, and taking this journey with us. Um, this is a, a thing that we, we want to try out and I had fun researching it and I was really nervous and, uh, you know, I think, I, th- I think, I think we did a pretty good job. I think we did a good job. I'm, I think we did I'm, too. I'm happy uh, with it. I'm, I'm, that was kind of, uh, difficult though. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Um, I mean, it was a heavy first, first one to do. Yeah. Well, next week we're going to make it easy and we're going to talk about 2020. Yeah, that's real easy. <laughs> yeah, real uplifting episode is coming for you next week. Thank you guys seriously so much for listening to uh, this episode. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you don't already, hit the follow and subscribe button, uh, whatever service you're using. I forgot that there's like a rating system in Apple Podcasts. I guess you can give us five stars if you want to. That's cool. Um, or give us one star and like just leave a real scathing review. That sounds funny. I want to read or, one of those. What well, I, would I don't prefer know about is, that. <laughs> <laughs> what I would prefer is give us the honest opinion. Sure. And even if it's not on Apple Music, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at DFTA Podcast and uh, just let us know if you want us to what changes you want or how we're doing or what episodes you would like to see us do, especially as it relates to con- like conspiracy theories or um, what are we calling this story? I, I wrote down music stories. We can call music it story stories. time. I don't know. Adam, what are we going to call this? Yeah. Uh, Adam. I don't know. Whatever right. the artwork comes out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, and uh, fuck off. Give me a towel. No, you got to say like Polly Shore. Give me a towel.